This is a State Library of Queensland podcast. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are advised that this podcast contains the names of people who have passed away. The Torres Strait. It's a place which seems so far away and probably not somewhere you'd have on your bucket list as a must-see. But when you think of the Torres Strait, what comes to mind? For me, the Torres Straits are like pearls dropped in the water because each island is is different, beautiful and unique to its own space within Torres Straits. The beauty of the place as you come in, you can feel the power. You fly over this majestic blue water which has tonal ranges from dark blues to the lightest blues and everything in between. And when it changes to the dark blue, that's when all the reefs appear. And that's that all those reefs are part of the Great Barrier Reef. Sounds like the stuff InstaDreams are made of, right? Pristine waters, cruisy lifestyles. But once you scrape away at that sandy surface, you'll discover there's so much more to understand about the islands that make up the Torres Strait. More than 30 years ago, one of those islands, within sight of the Great Barrier Reef, became an unlikely battleground for an historic legal case. An unprecedented court fight pitted five Meriam people against the powerful state of Queensland and the Commonwealth of what has come to be known as Australia. It was a victory that gave Torres Strait Islanders, along with Aboriginal people, the opportunity to have rights back to their ancestral lands. While June 3rd, 1992 would become known as Mabo Day, another significant anniversary stamped into this country's more recent history, what do you really know about the head plaintiff, Eddie Kweki Mabo? It was a fight which lasted 10 years and one which Eddie would unfortunately not live to see. But what makes someone take on a government? I'm Eddie is a six-part series from the State Library of Queensland which explores how a man from a remote island in the Torres Strait helped dismantle a 200-year-old law which claimed that prior to European settlement, Australia was terra nullius, nobody's land, uninhabited. It's been 30 years since the landmark case changed not only Australian law but also profoundly changed how the history of this country is taught, written and critically thought about. Eddie Koiki Mabo, along with his co-plaintiffs Vermeer, Reverend Dave Passy, Sam Passy, James Rice and Selua Mapo Sali, forever altered Australia. I'm Rihanna Patrick, a Torres Strait Islander journalist and I was 15 when the judgement was handed down. In episode one, I'll give you a glimpse into the man whose name has become synonymous with this case, the community he fought for and across this series, you'll hear stories you might not have heard before. What kept Eddie going when it could have been easier to just give up? How much do you really know about this ordinary yet extraordinary Meriam man? Take a look back with me at the legacy of this case and what is still being fought for today by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. But first, let's get to know the Torres Strait. If you've never been to the Torres Strait or have no idea where it even is, don't worry, you're not alone, My friend Donald, a sports journalist, is going to break it down for you like this. Imagine if the Torres Strait were an NBA team. Over to you, Donald. Thanks, Rihanna, and thanks to Blue Water Empire Airlines. Well, it's game day, it's finally here. 
Team Torres Strait has been training for this their entire lives. They might have been named after a Spanish explorer who sailed through in 1606, but don't let that fool you. For this team, it won't be plain sailing as the second indigenous group in Australia. Team Torres Strait has over 100 islands, 17 communities, and these are divided into five traditional island cluster groups, along with two traditional languages and a Creole, which has been spoken since colonization of the region. This team covers 48,000 square kilometres. Yes, that's right, 48,000 square kilometres, stretching from Papua New Guinea in the north all the way down to the tip of sunny Queensland. Just think about that for a second. The total arm span of Team Torres Strait alone reaches from the Coral Sea in the east to the Arafura Sea in the west. That's impressive. MVPs coming out of this team include the Smooth Moves from Paddy I Can Find the Hoop Mills, Powerhouse Jesse the Monster Williams, music making rookie Psycho, and point guard legend Lalani Mitchell. This team is ready to get themselves out of any tricky situation they come up against. And who could forget some of the biggest moments of this team's history? These players have never been shy about fighting for better pay and conditions in the sport they love. If we think back to the team's rebound moments, the maritime strike in 1936, the strike by Islander soldiers during World War II, the border not change campaign of the 1970s when the Australian government was going to give, yes, nine islands, nine islands to Papua New Guinea. Now that's gammon. To the Torres Strait 8 United Nations climate change case against the federal government over rising seas and the landmark traditional adoption bill in Queensland in 2020. This is just a snapshot of what Team Torres Strait is prepared to do and it's what will make them a harder team to beat. Now a word from our sponsor, Wagadugam Sporting Goods. Now that you've met the team, to really understand this story, you've got to fly over to the island at the centre of this playoff. So let's go. Welcome on board Blue Water Empire Airlines. Please make sure your tray tables are stowed and your seat is in the upright position as we prepare for our takeoff. When you fly to the Torres Straits, you fly over this majestic blue water which has tonal ranges from dark blues to the lightest blues and everything in between. Then you land on these lush green islands and for me to see this vast green island in the middle of a, of a blue palette is beautiful. Mer, or Murray Island, as it was named by Europeans, forms part of the eastern island groups of the Torres Strait. It's a place where Eddie and his ancestors knew every wind, tide, star and reef, but also knew what belonged to them and what didn't. A volcanic island covered in fertile soil, which proved ideal for growing food to not only eat, but also trade. Today, it's home to about 500 people, and while the population is relatively young, its median age is 25, the old cultural ways still exist and continue to be practised. And that voice you just heard, describing what you see flying into the Torres Strait, is Gail Marbo. Gail is the daughter of Eddie and Benita Marbo. For her, flying into Mer is always a sort of homecoming. Once you get into the place where they take your bags off and you and you hop off the plane in not not a very ladylike manner but um, once you step onto the tarmac and you're greeted by family 
it's a whole different world. From the top of the island, which has red soils, red soil lush, lush lands, which is where we did all our gardenings, then you come down to the, the blue water, which is, once again, various shades of blue with white sand, white crunchy and sometimes squeaky sand under your feet. But it's beautiful. And the whole island to me is home. But when someone else visitors, you know, they're just in awe of how beautiful the island is and the grandeur of the views of the water that people on the island have. Because, you know, if you live in a city, that's a million-dollar view. And for Murray Island people, that's an everyday occurrence. Gail is the fourth oldest of the ten children Eddie and Benita had together. So we learnt to find our way and learnt, knew what we had to do and what was required of us as girl children and also the boy child. We knew where we could stand and knew who we had to look up to and who we had to respect. And so for me, learning ownership and to be part of a community was when I was eight and we lived that whole entire trip just with family. It was a wonderful experience and one that I will always treasure and cherish because we got to meet grandmothers and grandfathers who are no longer with us, but we got to have time with them and actually just watch how, how much respect everyone in the space had for them. So to be in a space to watch these beautiful people just manoeuvre between us as children and our parents and my dad's cousins who embraced all of us was fantastic. So for me, that's how I learnt to be part of Mayor and understand how we are to behave within a community and what the community expected of us. When we stand in that community, we stand as strong individuals. In Bippo time, the time before the arrival of Christianity in 1871, the old ways helped you understand how you lived in your community, your role and responsibility in that community, and how you conducted yourself around your community. These old ways informed how Islander society was governed, how disagreements were settled, and how you respected your land, the land of others, and the environment around you. These old ways are continued through the languages Torres Strait Islanders speak, the songs Torres Strait Islanders sing, and the dances Torres Strait Islanders continue to dance. The stories in these dances and songs are an important way of passing down this information, and it's also how the history of Islander communities is recorded, a history which has continued to be told in this way with new dances and songs continuing to be added even now. These cultural practices also connect islanders to who they are and how they understand the place they come from. So when I go home, it's that thing of walking walking in the place that you knew, you know that your forebears have been and it also reminds you of who you are as a person and how much that island is a part of you as to you being home and saying, this is where I belong. So... The explaining of land ownership came through stories because one of the things is in the Torres Straits, history is held within stories, stories that are told about people, places and, and things that happen because we never wrote them down. So therefore, these are the stories 
that are held with families to pass on to to the next generations so they get an understanding of of land where they're connected to the land and how it came to be there is no way to explain the feeling you have when you're back on country back on the island that your bloodline runs to the sense of calm connection and just knowing knowing that this place is where your family is from like really from and that you're just part of this bigger plan set out before you were even thought of existed for me home as in Marianan is a place where i walk without fear of being ridiculed without being seen as a stranger and people questioning the reasoning why i'm there so the intention of you being there doesn't need to be explained to anyone because being home is being home and for me walking on Murray Island and knowing that's my home and not having to tell anybody the reason why I'm there is a wonderful feeling back when Eddie Marbo was 15 he was forced off his island after kissing a young woman something which was frowned upon. For nearly 100 years, the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders living in Queensland were strictly controlled by protection acts. For Eddie and other islanders who are all living under this act, it meant they could be forcibly removed from their islands and sent to other government-run reserves thousands of kilometers away. Can you imagine needing permission to walk down the road to visit a friend? Imagine getting punished or sent away for that. Well that was the reality for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people during this time and there are still people today who remember growing up under the act. But getting forced to leave his home in the Torres Strait didn't change Eddie's connection to what he knew, where he came from, and the knowledge he would carry with him to his new life on the mainland. He clearly had a very strong understanding of his traditional connection to Murray Island and he was passionate and had a desire to actually do something about it and to push forward to get those rights recognized. That's Greg McIntyre, who was a young lawyer when he first met Eddie and who'd later go on to become a part of Eddie's legal team. It seemed to me to be unjust that Australia had not developed its law in relation to land rights in the same way that was occurring in the United States, Canada and New Zealand or former British colonies who had recognized indigenous rights based on a, on the common law of which had all those colonies had inherited from England it seemed i couldn't understand why that should not also apply in australia during the case greg got to see firsthand eddie's love for the place he called home he would often see eddie drawing pictures of mer and its surroundings he was very dedicated and he knew a lot about what he was talking about in evidence he gave evidence for most of 5 weeks um with various breaks in between and just told story after story after story of the lands that he had inherited uh, from his adopted father Benny Marbo we used to share a, a hotel room Corky and I uh, for some of those weeks and he'd come back every night and do some more drawings of the land that he was going to talk about in evidence the next day so i mean it was just pouring out of him what his grandfather had told him about all of this 
all of his lands. Um, some of those drawings, of course, now are in the National Library where he, he coloured them in and, and named all the blocks of land and so on. And they're part of the UNESCO world record. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I never cease to be amazed at how focused Corky was on the case and on the evidence that he was giving and uh, never wavered from it. So we had our team of four, Barbara and Ron Bryan and myself. That's Barbara Hocking, Ron Caston and Brian Kean Cohen. And we sat down and talked about how we might run this case. I then made a number of trips up to Murray Island and, and slowly was, was taught about how island tradition works and how people are connected to land. And one of the things we thought made it a very good test case is that Murray Island and most other Torres Strait Islands look like sort of urban subdivisions of land with boundaries and disputes over land and, and all sorts of things which make it look quite similar to a Western style of land tenure, which we thought would be easier to explain to High Court judges. This similarity with European practices of land ownership is really what is at the heart of this case. To understand it a little more, in terms of how this practice is understood by Meriam, the people that come from Mer, I'm going to let Noel Zaro, who also has a connection to Mer, explain it in how he understands it. Um, Tug Moki Moki, it means don't touch what is not yours. Keep your hands to yourself. Tug means hands. Moki Moki means you don't touch what does not belong to you. That goes to everything, to all property. You don't walk through another man's land without permission first. If you do not have permission, you stick to the public pathway. There's a public pathway there, you stick to it. Say, for instance, if I go to visit, if I walk along the public pathway and go to another village, I won't enter the, the boundary line. I will call out first. If I go visit my cousin at another village, I call out first. I call him out. And then he will say, Maya, Maya, Mikaba. He will welcome me into his property and then I will come in. That's when I take my foot off the public path and walk down into his property. You'll hear more about Noel later in the series and what his connection to Eddie was. But as you heard there, it was these laws with a number of others which kept Meriam's society in check. Laws that were thousands of years old, clearly older than the Australian laws and older than even British laws, which were being tested in an even younger legal system, the Australian legal system. In episode two of Hi, I'm Eddie. And you know, he in his own mind was, would have been comfortable saying, well, I don't have to fight for land rights because I own my land. Then to find out that he actually did it, started another fire in his belly to go, well, I'm going to turn this around and get back what is mine and what I know is mine. So hence the fight, the fight for his land on Mare, which became the fight of Mabo and others. What do you really know about Eddie Mabo, the person? The man behind the name? And what makes someone take on the state of Queensland? Hi, I'm Eddie, was commissioned by the State Library of Queensland. It was co-produced by Wendy Love and me, Rihanna Patrick. If you'd like to learn more, check out the links in the show notes of the episode description on whatever podcasting app you're listening on.